Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. Fishers, Indiana is directly north of uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. It's a population of about 100,000 people. And uh, it's a beautiful day here today, temperature 42 degrees. And guess what? Thursday is Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all the oyentes, our listeners, and please um, be sure to subscribe to our podcast because that way every time we do one, it comes to your email and you'll be ready to listen to another uh, podcast adventure. Um, also, would like to uh, tell you to keep safe over the holidays and remember that um, you need to wear that mask when you're out. Wash your hands, keep your social distance, wear that mask till, till the vaccine is ready. At least we have a vaccine now. We're making some progress, so hang in there, everybody. Um, Today, we have a special guest who comes to us all the way from Florida. So, Luis is in Florida, Florida, right? Spanish word. And uh, what does that mean? Everybody out there, what does that mean? I think they literally say covered with flowers. Is that correct, Luis? That's correct, yes. Yes. Okay. And uh, so, we're going to move along here and I'm going to introduce you to our special guest and he is uh, Luis Lillard. Luis Lillard and I call him Luis Lillard and uh, he answers more to Spanish. You know, he is a Spanish teacher of uh, great renown in the state of Florida. He's been a teacher for many years in uh, the state of Florida, mostly at the high school levels. I believe he's going to tell you that in a minute. And uh, he is just a phenomenon of, of energy, uh, loves teaching, and uh, goes to great lengths to make teaching uh, interesting for his students. And I'm very honored to have him on our show today. He's had a beautiful career teaching, and uh, we're going to get a lot of good ideas listening to uh, Luis here today. Okay, Luis, how are you, guy? I'm doing great, Tom. Thanks for having me on this. Oh, well... Thank you for being on the show. It's a great honor to have you on the show. And uh, I know that you've done a lot of great things for the Spanish teachers and students, many, many students and teachers throughout your career in the state of Florida. Um, so uh, one of the things I wanted to start with asking you about is um, if you could tell the, the listeners a little bit about where you were born at and where you studied and some what, some ideas about your background in your current job, and where are you in Florida? Before you start answering those questions, are, I'm in. Oh, sorry. You're in South Florida, right? South Florida, yeah. I'm actually um, on Lake Okeechobee, which is in South oh. Florida, a little town called LaBelle, but I teach at Fort Myers, which is on the west coast. So okay. I've been here since 1981. So you've been wow, that's a long time. That's 39 oh, wow. years, right? Yeah. Yeah, this uh, is 39, now, 40 years old. Now, but you haven't been in the same school that long, right? Or have you? No, I started off at, at uh, Fulliston High School. It's a small town on Lake Okeechobee in 1981. And I studied there for about 25 years. And then the economy changed, and I moved to Fort Myers. And they needed a, um, an international baccalaureate teacher. So I went to, to another high school, Riverdale High School, and I taught um, IB for 10 Years, I think 10 or 12 years, and then they there was a school in East in um, Fort Myers, it's uh, it was a critical school, it was an effort school, 
and the principal at that time was my former vice principal, and she asked me if I'd come work for her. So normally that's a school where they were just throwing everybody, all the poor teachers and poor students that were very good at a lot of things. Um, and it made for a very disruptive and miserable situation. But as they were trying to redo the school, um, I guess I was known as a turnaround teacher because when I went to Lewiston, we turned it around from a school that had, it was a rural school, that had a lot of fighting in it and a lot of racial tensions. And I came in and about 20 of us were hired in my first year as a new teacher. And we just made it a better school, um, kept the tradition in it. And then likewise, at Riverdale High School, they were trying to turn it around to be an IB school. Um, and I helped with that. And then at this school, it was just trying to bring it out of the D and F area of studies. So now it's a C school. We currently do now. So um, some of those teachers have been problems and they're no longer there. And the students, of course, either matriculated out or were not allowed to continue. So it's a better school now. And that's just, I guess that's what I do. So how many, uh, how many years have you been at the, your latest school? This is, I'm going to my fourth year. Fourth year. Fourth okay. Year. Yeah. So is uh, that, has that uh, been your most challenging school or no? Um, in many ways, it has been um, simply because it's a 60% Hispanic population. So that's actually a, a surprising and pleasurable thing to have. But then when you go into a situation where the kids don't know as they are um, and they don't have the capabilities um, or they're not instructed to understand to have those capabilities, then that was a challenge. Um, because the, and they also didn't have a tradition because it was only like six years that the school was established. Um, and so it, it hadn't really formalized a tradition in itself, maybe it was six or 10 years, but it, it, it hadn't formalized a culture. Um, and me being very much about knowing school cultures, that was something we had to reformulate and, and has a better sense of it now. Now, you actually are from Indiana, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah but, I'm from Gary, Indiana. And, and uh, you spent a lot of time in Gary, right? Now, I, yep, I, I, want, I wonder if the listeners know the famous singer who was from Gary, Indiana. Luis knows. Jackson? Yes, Michael Jackson, right? Oh, Michael Jackson, yeah. He was from Gary. Michael, yeah. Miguel Jackson, yeah. eh? Yeah, and one of the things that, well, I'm going to let Luis talk some more here about his yeah. beginnings. <laughs> Tell us about Purdue, and, uh, and that's kind of how I got to meet you in an indirect yeah. way, right? Yes. Yeah, um... I was, uh, I went to Purdue. I was actually going to go to IU. And I went to IU and it was really too large. It was in the 60s and it was a lot of upheaval and civil unrest and things. And I just felt it was just way too big of a school to go to. And I wanted to go to some place that I could feel um, tamed under. And if I wanted to be like, like crazy or something, I could do so. But I wanted an environment that was more, you know, sustained itself for me and more controllable. So Purdue offered that. Um, not that IU wasn't a great school because I actually went through Indiana University of Honor program and, and went to a uh, summer program and went to Guadalajara, no, sorry, San Luis Potosí. And that's actually how I learned Spanish. That's where my bilingualism happened because I was immersed in Spanish. So now, I, I have um, to stop you for a minute. You, yeah. I think you knew about me, my involvement in San Luis, right? I don't know if you mm. I ended, sure. I ended up uh, speak, er, uh, teaching um, grammar in uh, the, the IU Honors Program for the high school juniors in San Luis. And okay. I, spe I spent two years there teaching grammar. And then I thought, boy, it would be neat if we could do a, 
teacher program in San Luis. And that's kind of how I started with my teacher programs in the summer. And we started in San Luis, and we did 12 programs in San oh, Luis. Cool. And, and then I moved the program from there to Guadalajara uh, to have a little bit bigger uh, bigger city, a little bit more very culture type thing. But uh, we spent quite a bit of time in San Luis, which I wonder if you know is some of the people. So did you know Meche? And uh, I don't know who the teachers may have been. Was Rita Sheridan there, Meche? Rita Sheridan, that was the lady that took me to, to, to uh, Mexico. Yes, Rita. His, his, his name was... Millard, Ar- Millard Arnold. Uh, Millard uh, Arnold. Well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe. I know the name. There was a little guy, he was from Whiting, and his name was Joe something. Yes, Joe, I know who you mean, yes. But anyway, uh, uh, Rita passed away a couple years ago. And uh, she oh. was one of my dear friends, a uh, wonderful, yeah. great teacher, great lady. Uh, yes. And uh, was Sotero teaching there then? Sotero, I don't remember if Sotero probably wasn't I there. Remember. I no. think that was before just, he came, yeah. yeah. I know who you little, mean. Yeah, Joe, what was his last name? I can't remember. But I, uh, I, I know who you're talking about. Um, I want to say Joe White, but I don't think that's yeah, his name. No, it wasn't. No. Um, but anyway, uh, no. you know, that was a great program and, and, and yeah. such a great place to learn your Spanish because uh, just a beautiful city and a lovely place. And you were in high school, right? And that kind of set your yeah. pace. And, yeah. you, and I know over the years you told me that you would pretty much wanted to stay in Florida because you enjoyed, you know, speaking Spanish with the Hispanic people there yeah. and uh, a lot, yeah. lot of Cubanos, a lot of Colombianos, uh, Venezolanos yeah. and Puerto Ricanos, a lot of uh, yeah. gente así. And I know yeah. you, you wanted to, uh, and for the listeners, uh, uh, Luis speaks beautiful Spanish. He's just very pretty Spanish. And he's dedicated his whole life to really teaching Spanish and perfecting his Spanish. And he does beautiful, yeah. beautiful job. Um, now, so you're in Gary, Indiana. You go to Purdue and you meet up with this famous professor. And what was his oh, name? Oh, Alan Garfinkel. Yes, Alan. He was one of my favorite teachers, yes. one of my favorite professors. There was, um, he was one of the guys that had a knack for understanding potential students or potential teacher um, candidates. And he just had a knack to identify your personality and to deal with that. So if you were um, strong in some areas, he would in on those areas. If you were weak in some areas, he would push you to be strengthened in areas. He never told you directly. It's just the way he guided you. So maybe some of the classes we would have with him, he gave life lessons. Like we didn't, I didn't even know he was telling us things that were life skill lessons. But he would give us examples of what teaching was like for him, and then he would have us in our mind to figure out how we would have to solve certain problems. So he was really way ahead of his time um, in teaching with us. But he knew a lot of things about, like, how the professional part of, of teaching, what we had to get engaged in. For example, like, we were, he made it very clear that the best way to be a good teacher was to engage in the professional aspect of it, like, to be involved in organizations. And I, at first, I didn't think that was, a, you know, really important. But the way he proposed it to us was that was an, an essential component of becoming a, a good Spanish teacher or a good uh, professional in any career. So, um, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, we, I don't know if I joined at the time when I was in 
in college. But that was one of the first things when I came to Florida that I kind of looked for was what were some of the professional organizations that I could latch on to um, so that I could become familiar with whatever the, the current genre was for instruction. And that actually was a really good idea. So that's what I've become involved in. It's been a central part of what I do here in Florida. So, so you have, um, you still have a lot of family, I guess, still in, in yeah. Gary, right? I have some. Um, my nephew is in Indianapolis, actually. And then I have uh, two nephews that are in, uh, in, in Gary still. And my parents, they passed away, so they're no longer there. The house is, the homestead is still there. Um, and then all my other nieces and nephews, I have one in Florida. I have a brother in Dayton, and I think my other cousins are in Chicago. So we're kind of spread around there, and I have, a, I think, a niece that's in um, Norfolk, Virginia. So we're kind of spread around a little bit. And I'm here in Florida, and I just, I just stayed once I got here. <laughs> so you got into teaching, and uh, so how many years have you taught? Quite a few, right? I mean, uh, this is, yeah, this is 39 going on 40. Wow, so congratulations. Fenomenal. Felicidades. That is so, that is so beautiful. Uh, 30, 39 years, and uh, and you still have great enthusiasm, right? Yeah, it's um, somebody that said that about me. Says when they talk to me and they hear me, my, they hear me, they think that I'm like this really like first year or second year, <laughs> ten year teacher. I'm like, no, I've been doing this like forty years. Where's your enthusiasm come from? And like I said, Alan taught us to ignite ourselves on on on. Of being enlivened in what we were doing, to enjoy our classes, our school, our students. Um, and that's what I've always been able to do is like, um, I enjoy what I'm at, where my, the culture of, this, of the community um, is an important part of it because that's what connects with the students and you have to know where they're coming from. Um, and then also to make the school a viable component of the, of the, of the community itself. I mean, it's not just there to you know, have the kids just get a grade and go home. Um, you're actually making them a, you know, a part of their, to come back into the community or to go into um, in society in general. So it's really kind of intriguing in that regard. And then I just always seem to enjoy um, working with kids and I take them to state conferences. And used to, we have this year, we're not able to because there's so much. Uh, yes. And that, that's kind of how I met up with you. I remember yes. through the Florida AATSP from Florida. I met you several times, and I met you at um, also, um, where else did we, oh, the... You came down to our conference, our state... Um, yeah, the state Spanish state Spanish conference, and I also awesome. met up with you in, I think, Madrid, when oh, yeah, yeah. the conference was in Madrid for the Spanish, Spanish ATSP National, and uh, you were on the board yes. of the uh, Sociedad Honoraria Hispanica, and uh, yes. we met up there, and... Uh, and had some great, great times and talking about teaching. And uh, I know I always enjoyed being with you and talking about teaching and, and the kids. And I always was impressed how you were very interested in the students succeeding, you know, yeah. that you really cared about them succeeding, no matter uh, their, their place in, in life, no poor or slow students or poor, whatever, you always wanted to raise them up. And that was one of the things that really impressed me uh, from when we first met and, and still impresses me, how you really, really care about all the students and, and reaching the students. It's a very beautiful thing. And uh, how lucky the t schools have been. 
and the kids to have had you for you know all those years to teaching down there in Florida. It's a shame you didn't come to Indiana, but <laughs> anyway, yeah, maybe in, maybe in the next life you can come back, yeah. right? There <laughs> was the times. It was just a, a different time. At the, at, in '81, there was like I think there was a teacher strike or something, and I didn't quite know what to do. And um, the, the, the strangest thing about this is the reason why I came to Florida was that some of my uh, dorm um, peers came to Florida for a spring break, and I couldn't afford to come down. I wasn't able to do so. So uh, they came back and they were talking about how great Florida was, and I was a little bit envious. So the first opportunity of an interview I had, I went to Florida for a job interview because I wanted to see what they were talking about. And I got down here and decided, well, there's a little bitty town, and I figured, ah, I'll just stay. And I thought it was going to be for a couple of years, and no, it ended up my entire life. You're all, well, that's great, but, <laughs> but it's also a beautiful place, right? It's a beautiful yeah, state. And uh, right now, where you're at, too, Fort Myers, that's really beautiful. Isn't it? I mean, there's mm-hmm. some really pretty, pretty places there. Um, and I've always lived in a, in a rural town, and I still stay here. I, mm-hmm. just, I live in LaBelle, and I go to Cooliston. used to live in Cooliston, uh, work in Cooliston. And then now I go to Fort Myers, but I, I stay here in LaBelle. And it's a small town of 8,000, maybe, or 9,000 people. And we have... We have a just got in a new Walmart and we just got in a traffic light and we're getting in the seven eleven new one. So that tells you the size of the town. So big guy from you know, from up north in Chicago and Gary and I came down to this little town, I'm like, Okay, I, I you know, I shrunk down and but it, it actually was a good thing because I'm I'm able to put together um, a lot of what I've learned and, and and use it with like you say with the with the students and, and I think that has helped. Um, yeah, and, and, and you've, you, you've also always enjoyed teaching. I always thought that, you know, you make it fun for the kids. I know that, yeah. and and you make it, you enjoy it too. And uh, and yeah. it seems like one of the things we always talk about with teachers on the show is that one of the things that's terribly important is that if the teachers are having fun teaching, then the kids have fun. You know, yeah, and I I, so. I think that's the big thing that about teaching and that one th- sometimes teachers you know they'll spend a long time and then finally all of a sudden they start having fun you know and they go well yeah. you know and then they end up teaching a long time right mm-hmm. and i think that's one thing in a profession we have to improve you know yeah. with with our t- young teachers is to get them so they enjoy it right really enjoy yeah. it yeah. authentically yeah, a- have fun yeah it was a three-year hump they have to get over. After the first, for some reason, it's critical the first three years, and yes. after that third year, once they get past that third year, then they're in a better zone. But yes. the first three years, it's yeah. just something about it. I don't know what it is. Um, I think for me, the first couple of years in teaching, I was like, I was challenged to do what I was doing, and then I realized, well, what else am I going to do? Not what else am I going to do, but I like what I was doing. Um, and then I just kept having challenges that I kept overcoming, and after a while, I started liking it. And then I, I got into a position where um, I, the kids and the teachers and everybody, just, it just kind of felt you know, like something I was supposed to do. And I'm from a family of teachers also, so that's another thing. Right? Yeah, we're, I'm we're, outside the family. Were they, were, were they administrators or teachers? Both. Um, both. both um, I remember you used to talk to them, both. tell me about them, yeah. Yeah, my uncle and, and, and Gary, they were in the Gary school systems. They were teachers and administrators and in the Chicago system as well. Um, on my mom's side, so everybody was either a teacher or administrator of some sort, at least everybody except for a couple of them. But 
And I'm the only one out of my group, my family, that my age group that became a teacher. And um, actually, no, actually my teachers, my, my cousin is a professor, was a professor at Butler, and then she went on, now she's in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. But she got her math, she got a doctorate at IU. Okay, so we'll talk about Gary for a minute in case yeah. for the listeners that don't know where Gary's up by Chicago and the population yeah. in Gary is uh, uh, pretty much uh, 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 diminished. diminished but it, but mm-hmm. a big population of uh, of Afro-Americans right in, mm-hmm. in, the, in yeah. the region and uh, yeah. Luis being a person of color himself is uh I always like to ask him this about um, um, the effect that are um, where do where do uh, teachers of color fit in here? Because I always felt like we needed more. We need more yeah. teachers of color, and and I've never been anywhere where we've. And if this is true, this is I'm mm-hmm. speaking the truth here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know why. I I mean I'm not an administrator. I'm you know. It, in a school, but I've always wondered why are there not more teachers of color in in world languages? I I mean, oh, world languages, yes. that's a good one. I um, mean, or all overall, either yeah, way. What what are your thoughts about that? When I was growing up, most of the teachers at my school were from were Afro American or black, and they came from the black institutions, from the HBCs. Um, and I don't know if they're putting out educators anymore or as much as they used to. Um, and then the schools themselves um, attracted those teachers in. So like the school I'm teaching at right now, there's, uh, this is the most Afro-American teachers I've taught with in, in my almost my whole lifetime. Um, and so there's probably like 15 or 20 of them, uh, of us in the, out of the faculty of 100. So it's a good group of them. But again, um, the disparity, as you were pointing out, within language teachers is very rare. I've run into some, three or four or five, yes. scattering. And, um, and, and, and mostly... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, it's something that we really need to work on in the profession. We really need to work on getting more people, uh, Afro-American folks, Hispanic people, into the profession and in Asi- Asiatic people, I, I think if we really are going to call ourselves a world language group, that mm-hmm. we got to really pay attention to the various cultures and and get this multicultural thing going in our own yeah. profession. You know, much less, yeah. much less. And and I say this, and you probably have seen it in some schools you were at, but there are schools where there aren't very many Afro American teachers. You know, no. I mean, if no. if it's uh, I'm, I'm trying how to say how I'm describing it. So my, my first thought is, you know, we aren't doing a good job here. You know, we're not, uh, for whatever reasons, you know, we need to do better. And uh, I know we, we talk about uh, racism. We talk about mm-hmm. all these attitudes and things. And and sometimes I think they're they're very true in, in certain yeah. places, you know. And, and I think it's yeah, something. Strong yeah. back. Strong um, constitution, I guess, internal constitution. Yes. Oftentimes, and well, to, with the language for me, I use Spanish oftentimes to communicate with people when there's something that they say to me that that strikes a chord to me that either resonates well or not. If it resonates well, then I'm a, I can speak with pretty well. But if it doesn't resonate well, then I tend to throw my Spanish at them because it's something that I've learned to dominate. Mm-hmm. I taught kids. We, we teach kids about um, 
just to rely upon their strengths. So whenever there's something, um, it, it's called, uh, I can't think of the word out in a minute, but whenever you, whenever you feel as though there's something that you can't do well, you're supposed to rely upon your strength, which allows you to connect with your inner self so that you can overcome whatever it is, mm-hmm. ignore whatever the, the circumstances are. And um, there's a name for that, and I can't think of it right now. But that's what we recently, we've been talking, in mental health, we've been talking to kids about mm-hmm. how to rely upon your strength of, of self. And I guess I did that a long time ago um, when I because I learned Spanish and well my dad spoke Italian which is odd but he was an African American male but he was in the Korean War and he was over in Italy so mm-hmm. apparently he had a knack for learning a language mm-hmm. so coming back to nowadays I realized that that's a little bit where I got mine from is because my dad spoke Italian and there was another auditory sense going on in me mm-hmm. where I heard this other language. So that in itself encouraged me probably to speak Spanish. But like getting back to the kids, what I've always taught them is that you have to have a, a self-identity that's strong enough that you don't have to worry about what other people say um, or think. And that, it, it takes a while to build that constitution within yourself. Yeah. But then I tell kids also that, you know, if somebody does that kind of thing, rely upon your language to, to do so. Yeah. And, and I sometimes think in language learning, we probably need to create more situational th- things that involve, mm-hmm. you know, the, the races of people, you know, a little bit. Maybe, you know, in learning, you know, that we, we have a situational uh, setup of uh, role plays in, in language class, et cetera, et cetera, where we really get into this more. I'm not sure we really get into these things when we really probably should, you know. So uh, there's a lot of like for where I'm at, there's a lot of Afro-Cubans. Um, correct. There's with Afro-Cuban culture. So it's mentioned more so. And because in South Florida, we have yeah. Miami, as close as it is. And you have Nicaragua and Salvadoreños and Panamanians where there's a, the, the Hispanic people of color, so yeah. to speak. And so there's more of that. And then they recognize their African heritage. So there's there's more of that culminating with them. And then when you have the Afro-Americans and Jamaican Haitians in, in one area, it's really interesting how that, you know, provides a lot of opportunity yes. for discussion. Yes. But then the teaching part, which you were talking about before, it's 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 almost as though the kids are, are not aware of the fact that they could become teachers. Yes. And that's what they used to they used to pull us in. They yes. used to talk a lot about teaching, you could become a teacher. Yes. And now it's like Nobody talks about it as much, even though we have the uh, National Teachers, uh, FTA, Federal Teachers Association, and the well, uh, FTA, yeah. the Future Teacher of America kind of like thing. But it doesn't pull the kids in, to my, my estimation, like it used to. And no. I'm not sure what, what the reason is. And, and, and the, the college level, is, it's, you know, we just don't have enough people going into teaching, mm-hmm. you know, as you yeah. said. It's it's maybe it's because the money isn't good, which it isn't. It's, the pay should be double or triple what it is, and yeah. the pay needs to be better. But the situations in some of the schools and the difficulties and and there's there's a lot of things and but but again, uh, hopefully with uh, President Elect Biden, hopefully yeah, hopefully that that our Secretary of Education will be an actual teacher or would have been, you know, or administrator. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to a lot of good things happening on all these fronts. Yeah. Uh, I think that's been a problem. You're right. 
some of the top down, it, it should be bottom up, but often it's reality is top down. Yes. And so oftentimes a lot of the leadership has, like here in Florida, we have leadership that doesn't recognize that aspect of it. So they're pulling people in different directions that has nothing to do with education itself. It has more to do about power and money and where the money goes. And if it had more to do with just getting students to become more citizens of the, of the world, globalization has, has entered into it. But if they could teach them um, just the subject area to be better character people, that would probably elicit a lot more um, people attracted to education. Mm -hmm. um, and that's probably a lot of it. And um, some of it is like you said, and Afro-American people um, have been dissuaded away from it simply because they, they don't feel the attraction like it used to be. It used to be the teachers pulled them in. Um, and then the, the role models themselves, there's not, so there's a catch-22 there. There's a catch-22 in, in the sense of the significant number of reduction of teachers that are Afro-American um, or even people of color that they can see. And it, it could be somebody that's Jamaican or Haitian or even a Cuban or whomever, um, but they don't see them. And so that's a large a part of the disparity so that they don't see them right. in front of them so they don't know. So how My many, yeah. me, so. How many well, well said, beautiful. What, so how many languages do you speak? I speak Spanish and English and some French. I don't know it as well as I used to because I had to take it in college in Purdue in order to, I thought I was going to get my doctorate at the time and that was years and years and years ago. Um, but I knew you had to have two other languages. I mean, other languages besides Spanish. So I took French and German. But the German somehow and French at the same time became a completely different language when I took the test. So my teacher said, drop one of them, drop French or German. And French was closest to Spanish, so I dropped the German. And I can I actually can understand when I need to, um, but not not real well. They've asked me to teach it in the school, and I've, I've, I've said, no, um, I, I can't do it. it just because we have Haitian kids in our school who speak Creole, which is a lot like French, and I would be very, um, it would be very uncomfortable to be in a class trying to teach French and these people looking like, what are you saying? So I just thought, no, I want to. Okay, I want to, all right. So so why is teaching, uh, the, the teaching of culture is so important in a, in a language class? Uh, it's people. Um, you, you can't learn the language in a vacuum. You can't learn it sterile. It has to have people attached to it. And the people, and it's not just one. It's not just one set of people. So a language has, like Cuban has Cuban, Puerto Rican, uh, Asian. Uh, sorry, uh, Dominican, uh, Mexican, and even when you talk about those cultures, it's subcultures, and then you have Spanish. So in Spain, there's like five or six different. Uh, all the provinces have language cultures. Uh, in Mexico, there's all the language cultures. In addition to the, the Incas and the Mayas and the Aztecs that were there, but you have all the the regionalisms are there. So there's all of this culture that it's a part of language, clothing, people, uh, dance, food, um, all of those things, uh, music, those are all a part of the culture. And that surrounds a person every day. But if all you teach is just the language, there's nothing to, th they'll get it, but then when they have to talk to the person, they really won't understand. You know, there's so much more to it because they're going to throw something in about, you know, I don't know, some, some musical thing or, or something about uh, the dressing or like the quinceanera, for example. That's the first thing I would think of. So I say, well, what's the sweet 16? Well, we have sweet 16, they have 15. 
when there's a cultural difference. But the thing is, I understand that we have the same kind of like cultural uh, matchups, but they're just different. And you have, and that's what you use the context of those American cultural snippets to match up with the with the Hispanic so, cultures. So where do you think the study of uh, world languages is today compared maybe to 20 years ago? Do you think we've improved a lot or we still have things yeah. to do better or what? There's more to do, but I think we've improved a lot um, because it was, I don't say, it, it's, at, that, at that time it wasn't technology. We didn't know as much about people as we do now. Um, there's more instructional uh, theories that have been out there, um, Crash and some of the other people come up with things. Um, there's also uh, Kagan uh, strategies and other things that have allowed us to become more productive in our teaching. So I think it's better. There's a long way to go, but I think it's richer. Um, people travel more, like we take people to all the places that now teachers can go to to bring that culture back to themselves. Whereas before, I think people went on their own. I'm not sure how we got around, how teachers got around the understanding languages, but like me as a, as a student, there's even, at that time, I only had that one trip, and now there's lots of places to go to um, that they offer. So I think that there, it's increased more, and like I said, we've become more globally interdependent, and now, that makes it important. So um, what this idea of creativity, for example, uh-huh. uh I always had this idea in, about teachers who were really, really good with getting the points across to the students and teaching, and that they, they had this extra dimension to them sometimes of creativity. And there were some teachers that just by nature were creative. But then over the years, some people learn it, the teachers. Yes. I, and I saw people that immediately were creative. Through, through my teaching career, but there'd be some that were creative. Then there would be others that were, they weren't terribly creative, but over the years, they ended up being more creative than mm-hmm. the other person. So yes. what role do you think creativity has in teaching? Do you see that as being a huge yeah. factor in the teaching? Is, yeah, I think, it, like you said, it adapts and develops and evolves as you become as you teach more because you learn to adapt your strategies to students and sometimes you find that you have a skill set you're using with kids and maybe you learn to um maybe they're writing something down and they're drawing a picture about it and you find it well maybe five years later it's like kids are like we did that when we were in kindergarten so then you have to evolve and make it better and then technology has come around and so now there's things you can do with powerpoints and some other strategies with things that they learn to build um, and there's websites to go to, and so you actually make them create the tools that they need to learn. So I think oftentimes um, a person can be creative just by nature. Um, they were a creative person as we were growing up. Some of us have that ability. Um, they just we just do that without thinking about it, and then we've learned to. Uh, it's called characteristics. So there are certain characteristics and traits that you can instruct people to to learn. So those characteristics those creative characteristics and traits as you as you learn them and see them and adapt to them, you pull them in. Um, and I'm kind of eclectic. So I always gather things from all different people. And I think people do that when they realize to be successful. Okay, well, he was successful with this. She was successful. Let me try it. But I don't particularly like it this way. I'm going to do that. That's creativity. That, that's adapting. 
Yes. Um, a skill to something. So the and adaptability. All, kind of all, always being on change, right? You're kind of uh-huh. changing, yeah. evolving in teaching. Yes. And, and you've seen that over the years, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, I think one thing that we have to be careful of teaching, too, is that we don't get so mired in whatever we're doing, whatever method it is or whatever, yes. that we think we yes. have to do this this way or else. Right. And, there's, you know, this is the only way to do it. And I think mm-hmm. uh, that sometimes that can get us in trouble, you know, yeah. in, in the teaching profession as well. And we go back to creativity. And it, it's, as you just said, you know, you take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then you end up making your recipe or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. You you have a million recipes now. And, you know, and you borrow from, <laughs> no, it's kind of how we do it, right? And you borrow a little bit from this, a little bit from that. And then we end up, the teachers have all these beautiful recipes for learning and teaching and, and learning. But but it isn't just one way, you know? No. And I, no. I, I sometimes always caution teachers, too. I say, you know, you, you know, there's a million ways to do this, right? And right. no no way really is necessarily better or more perfect than the other way, right? Because right. every right. teacher has their style and they're all different and, mm-hmm. you know, and... Uh, but uh, I think today we have to really watch, you know, with uh, and especially with the technology part, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. that we don't get so absorbed in that. Uh, that well, we, not everybody's a visual learner. So yes. technology is mostly visual and auditory. And if you're yes. not visual and auditory, they need kinesthetics. They have to work with their hands. Yes. Then, then that doesn't work because they're doing a keyboard, but there's no connection right. between themselves and the keyboard yeah. what they see on the screen so they have to have something manipulative or something like that and that's I'm using the words that I've been given to do this I, did, I didn't even know manipulatives until somebody said well that's manipulative oh what yeah. you're using a hamster we used to call that well, so easy we used, we used to okay. call we used to call it hands-on remember hands-on yeah, it was hands-on, hands-on, you know, learning. hands-on learning but again that's it's it, it whatever we call it Again, it's things we have to call back, you know, we have to bring yes. back into play. You know, this, yes. the human yes. side of learning, you know, it's like, man, this is important. Hands-on yeah. action, materials, situations, real life, you know, all these yes. things. We have to keep doing it, you know. We can't just, you know, just kind of let and everything also, drift. It also teaches kids, because some, some kids are so structured that they have only used a computer or have only used structured ways of learning. And then, but when they have to be able to critically think, which is another thing I've talked to somebody else about, and they can't critically think because they're so used to doing structured ways that when they have to find a way to do something and figure something out, they, they don't know how to do that. So the whole idea of being creative also teaches them to be critical thinkers because you have to yes. think outside of the box and you have to use, yes. your, your, what do we used to call your thinking cap? And and, and the the big part of and the big part of creativity teaching is providing, as you said, we have to yeah. provide these situations where mm-hmm. the students can do this, right? Where they can yeah, think out of the box, where they can have moments of critical thinking, and to that's solve right. problems and in in language and language learning to, to create and solve problems, and that that is the beauty of, of teaching, I think, of languages because there's so many opportunities right out there with culture and literature all these things we throw together and and yeah. you know we can do, do those things um so what about this teacher who inspired you the most 
I'm assuming Dr. Garfinkel is one, right? Yeah, Dr. Gar. Well, it's at Purdue. There was a, a very unusual. I found out a very unusual group of people that were at Purdue. Um, there was a guy named Arthur Chandler. There's Bruce Ramon. Um, there was Alan Garfinkel, um, and there were a couple other teachers. I don't remember the names now. But that group of teachers, um, they were so instructive and instrumental in how they, they taught us because they were so capable. I mean, I've run into teachers since then, professors at universities since then. But those guys had knowledge well beyond what I would ever have considered smart. Like, Maurice Maron was, was from, um, and I didn't realize who was teaching me at the time. But come to find out, they were writing books that we use today some, somewhat to go back to and right. find out the original way of doing things. Well, they were they were very practical. Practical. They were very down to earth and uh, human. They were very human people, and they realized the importance of humanity in all of this. The, the human touch and the humanity involved in learning and language learning. So it was. Yeah, you're right. It was it was a rare thing in, in its time in its day, and I think Purdue at that time had the, some of the best people around for that. Um, so. What about um, these professional organizations in Florida? I know you've been in a lot of organizations. What are your top three? Um, Florida Foreign Language Association, um, Florida Association of Teachers of Spanish and Portuguese, which is the Florida chapter of AATSP, and I'm also my local chapter, which is the County Foreign Language Association. So I guess those three would be the ones I would give. Now, you have just accepted the presidency, right? Of the Florida yes. Florida AATSP, right? That's correct. I have. And you've done this before, right? Um, I was a secretary, and then I was a historian. Okay. So now I'm the president. So, Luis has been—he is incredible. I mean, to to have the energy to keep doing these things is amazing, right? And, yeah, uh, I mean, it's like a lot of fun. Yeah, you're, you're to be admired for all this is wonderful. Now, what about um, today's teaching, the good and the bad, and how can it be improved? What would you say to that? Um, I find that the, the most difficult part of it is that um, the classroom management is one. Classroom management is one. Mm -hmm. um, nobody's taught how to manage students. So when they get in the classroom, a large part of it is given to them by the school, mm -hmm. but it's also a knack for liking kids. You just have to be able to understand that there is a background of students that um, come from a lot of different situations today in particular. Um, and you just got to learn to understand them. And um, some of that um, also requires what I was always told to be very firm. In the classroom, you have to be very firm in the classroom. Regardless of whether you're a good teacher or not, if you don't have good classroom management, then you probably don't have a very successful class. Um, simply because the kids will be running all over the place and do whatever they want. Um, but also, it, it inspires kids when they see, because kids want to be disciplined. They, they want to have discipline. They have to have order. They don't act like they do, but they want order. Um, and then when you don't have order, then you're probably not, if they say, well, that guy doesn't know how to run his class. Yeah. So, so once you have your classroom management good, teacher has mm -hmm. that good classroom management, then they can be creative, right? And spin off and and then when yes. they when you say okay that's good this, here's yes. the limit then you don't have to it's no big yeah. deal yeah. and also setting boundaries because that's an important yes. part of it yes um, and and kids 
I mean, if, if you're in a, in a family, if your mom and dad don't think a lot of you and they just let you do whatever, you're kind of like, well, they don't care. You know, that's, there's that. The kid sounds very dismal. But, and the same thing happens in the classroom. The kids feel as though if you're, you don't have to be over, overbearing, but you do have to have boundaries and rules in your classroom. And sometimes you can joke and be joking with your kids, but I think the reason why I'm, I guess if I would say why I'm successful because they know that I have a limit. So I'm, we're going along and we're talking and we're having a conversation and we get beyond a certain point and I'll pull the class banding out. I felt that's as far as I can go. Okay, let, let's bring it back in. That, that's way beyond the boundary. And ha uh-huh, ha, nope, let's, let's bring it back in now. And so there's a sense of, of knowing that um, there's a certain ability that you have to have and there's a certain boundary that you have to use and you have to, and the kids will recognize that they they'll know if they can run over you or whether or not they're going to respect you right and uh-huh. and there, we have now it's in the, we call it a social contract and so we have this agreement in class um about how to get along and how to behave um and so i and even for myself the, so the contract is for me so if i go beyond a certain thing like maybe i'm having a bad day and i know me and i know i'm looking at whatever that's called, the internal introspection, and I see myself ready to blow up, and maybe I can't help it, and I'm trying not to, and kids are, are supposed to be able to say, Mr. Miller, wait just a second. You're going beyond it. And yes, that's right. Thank you so much. <laughs> but that agreement has to be there. I mean, I have to be willing enough and smart enough and, and uh, understand, empathetic enough to know that I'm a human being, and they're calling me on it and saying, okay, let's, let's pull this back. Yeah, and when, you, and when you do that, it, per, it, 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 it provides this uh, rapport, right? This yes. beautiful student-teacher yeah. rapport, yeah. how you get along, right, every day. And that's how you survive teaching. And you've done yes. it for 39 years, so you certainly know how to do it very well. But, but it, does, it, it does uh, have to do with... Um, the rapport, all of the, everything you said, and it makes for this beautiful classroom yeah. atmosphere and a respect, yeah. right? There, where there's I respect. I have on my um, Facebook page that, that that I communicate with, and they'll call or Facebook something like years later, and they'll see me and say, "Mr. Lillard, Senior Lillard, oh my gosh, how are you? Remember when we did this? I don't remember." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, kid. Remember when such and such and such? I'm well remind me." And they'll start talking, and eventually I'll go, oh, yeah, I that, you know. <laughs> so it's, that's, that's rapport, you know, that's really connecting with people. Someone once said this, there's some, a saying that goes, you never know what you're teaching until 25 years later. So exactly. You, you, never, yeah. you never know what you're affected in, a, in an individual as a teacher, and you won't know it right now. Until later, absolutely. Graduate, but much later in life. Yes. It, impact you'll see somehow well said <laughs> beautiful yes and then what about this um use of technology in the classroom where are we headed with our technology um i hope not too much farther yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of come to life with a zoom and all the yeah. and the zoom room the google meet and all that the, the rooms etc and we've yeah. done all this the this technology and things but it still doesn't have the fun of being live, does it? No. You know, seeing no, people every day and seeing the human beings and living life, right, with the, pe- yeah. the students. Yeah. There's, it's almost like a, it's, it, if it becomes too much, it becomes a video game. And that's unrealistic. 
Yes. So if the person is looking at something and they're getting feedback, that's great. But there's we've had kids, the COVID, this COVID thing has proven one thing, is that it's shown the kids that are not able to learn online will say, I got to come back to school. And the reason being is because the explanations that they get online are weak, right? They're weak, would you say? Um, let's see. I think we've lost you there. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. And so, but the technology part, which has its good parts, but mm -hmm. it, we still have to value and prize the humanity of it all, right? Yes. The, the yeah. human aspect of living every day. And I, I always tell people, who would like to work their, spend the rest of their life eight hours a day in front of a computer screen or a la laptop or, or an iPad or your iPhone to do that and things? And uh, uh, it's it's rather, and I know there are people, techies out there who would get upset hearing that, but, you know, it, 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 there are two sides to this coin, right? And and uh, it, it just has to be dealt with, you know, that yeah. that we have to really kind of preserve humanity <laughs> to, yeah. to a point. You know, I find another thing that with the with the the virtual part of it is that we have virtual school, but I'm finding that if they have not established the background knowledge before they go online, it's very difficult to gain that knowledge brand new. Um, like learning a language, I think, would be entirely difficult if they didn't know the language, like they didn't have Spanish 1 first, and then maybe take Spanish 2 online, that wouldn't make any sense. But if they're only learning Spanish 1, uh, there's no language, there's no people, there's, there's no communication, yes. Yes. there's no culture, it's just, they're just learning, right. um, and, and I, I, don't, I don't see how I've learned online, but everything I've learned online is post having learned it already. You know, like my master's degree or doctor degree or whatever I pursue, right? Is, I've already learned it, so I think what you're saying is very, very true. Yes. Okay. So, what about uh, advice for the young teachers starting out? What would you tell those people? Oh, that's a good question. Um, first of all, be confident. Know your subject area well. Um, if you're a C student, be a strong C student. <laughs> that's what. <laughs> Well, I was a BC student. I was an A. I should have been an A student, but I think if you know your content area, um, just be confident in it. And then, um, like I said, the management part, um, the classroom management part is important. Um, and as well as knowing the culture that your school is setting, the demographics, that is key. So if you have a predominantly black area, know that that's the predominantly black students and know that know that demographics. If you're in a, a predominantly elite area and it's all white area, you should know that demographics as well. Um, and they're going to be very strong at you teaching. They may even tell you how, the parents may even come to your room and tell you how you have to teach. You know, there's you just have to be aware of the demographics. And, and listen. Listen a lot, right? Yes. You have to yeah, listen. You have to listen. And, and, and then adapt. Uh, I yeah. tell teachers, the ladies have asked me, I said, be flexible, be adaptable. Um, and if you and if you come in with the tools, just know which tools you're going to use. You know, there's no big deal. Be flexible. Yes. Um, and, and that's important. And then add something to the environment. Right. Be ready to add something to the environment. Too. 
Okay, Luis, I tell you what, it has been a fun time here. And uh, I can see we've, uh, we're running out of time, but I wanted to thank you so much for being with us. It's been an honor to have you with us. And uh, now you are officially the president of, of uh, the Florida Spanish Association right now, right? Yeah, well, I'm president-elect, so I started mm -hmm. January 1st. Well, congratulations for that. Thank you. And uh, Luis is, has so many honors, and we'd have to be here for an hour to <laughs> go over all he's done in the profession. That's very true. Fine. And he's helped so many teachers over his career and, uh, and students, thousands and thousands of students. So it has been nothing but great fun talking to you. And uh, Thank you, Tom. Uh, if, uh, if you hang around a minute, we'll chat for a few more minutes. But I'm going to uh, talk to the, to the listeners here for a minute, and then I'll get back to you, okay? Okay, Just thank hang, you so Hang, hang loose. I'll be right back. Okay, thank, thank you for being here. It's been a great honor, guy. Great to see you. Um, okay, listeners, it's happy Thanksgiving, and I'll catch up with you in a couple more weeks. And we'll have another uh, Tom's World Language Cafe session. And I've got some surprise guests coming up for you. And uh, so don't forget to listen and uh, sign up and subscribe to the podcast, the Apple podcast. Thank you very much. Take care of yourselves. Keep safe. Uh, wash your hands. Wear your mask. Six feet of social distance. Okay? So we'll see you back here soon. Take care. Bye. Nos vemos. Hasta pronto. Y Luis quiere hablarle a los oyentes de ser algo en español. Hey, para hablarles. Oh, bueno, ha sido un gran placer eh, presentar eh, frente a ustedes. Eh, espero que los oyentes uh, hayan tenido uh, algo interesante que he dicho. Espero que ustedes pasen eh, la fiesta de actuación de gracias con todo dar. Entonces, y mucho pavo para comer. So have a lot of Pavo, you French teachers out there. I bet you didn't catch that one, did you? I bet you did, Pavo. So have a lot of Pavo y que descansen ustedes. Get some rest, okay? Nos vemos y, y muy buen, buenos días y que pasen una noche fenomenal. Bye, nos vemos. Hasta pronto. Bye.